Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Two seconds. He'll get a shot off on the way. Got it. Finds Ward and there's his game winner. On the move, on the way. Tucker will score. Sean Tucker with a touchdown. Gillen. Got it. Derek, you win. Are you serious? Five down. One to go. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Network, with episode 76 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, presented by Hoffman Sausage Company, Bet Online, and Purple Banana. We have a fantastic episode for you this time around with Josh Crawford, Griffin Delapena, and Sidney Suple back to talk about Syracuse football, their week two win over Western Michigan, and looking ahead to the week three first road contest at Purdue, a Big Ten school who Syracuse played a fantastic game with last year that came down right to the final seconds. We will talk about all of that, including what injuries that occurred in week two and the impact it will have on week three. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Syracuse knocks off Western Michigan 48-7, to but it did not start as smoothly as the final score would indicate. Early in the game, the first like 54 to 58 seconds of the game was pretty much as bad as a first minute could go if you're a Syracuse fan. Syracuse starts out on defense, and on the second play from scrimmage, Western Michigan goes 75 yards for a touchdown to take an early lead. Western Michigan's all jacked up. Syracuse looks a little bit shell-shocked. Then Aronde Gadsden goes down with an injury on the second play uh, from scrimmage for Syracuse on the offensive side of the ball. And then later in that drive, as they're marching down the field, Garrett Schrader hits a wide open, no one around him, Damian Alford in the end zone who drops the pass and Syracuse settles for a field goal. So after that first minute, even after that first possession, I want to know what everyone was thinking. I know what I was thinking, but we'll start with Sydney. What was going through your mind as, as you see all of that play out early in the game? You know, it was funny because the three of us were actually texting and I went back to look at our reaction and Griffin's text literally said, worst start ever. And it was like, you could just feel the fans were like on their feet. But as soon as that second play happened, everyone sits down is like taking a deep breath. And it almost reminded me of like a fight when all of a sudden some guy just comes out swinging and nails like a punch that nobody was expecting. And, and that's honestly what it felt like. And I felt like I had a doubt of maybe we overlooked this opponent after week one, we're winning a little too confident, but I do give the defense credit because after that play, they absolutely locked in and you know i was able to talk with Derek mcdonald linebacker after the game and he talked about how that response meant so much to him and the entire team because obviously 
nobody wanted to start the game off that way, but they knew in that moment that they had a chance to respond. And that response is something that they can work through in a much bigger game when the opponent's tougher and the game's closer. They're not going to be able to be perfect every time. And I think that response should give a lot of Syracuse fans hope. Josh, what were your thoughts in the first uh, few moments of that game? Uh, actually, very similar to Sydney. Like she's she's very smart and she she, she thinks on her feet, so it doesn't surprise me. But yeah, like me and Griffin talked about uh, at Media Day uh, Week One, there was a really big emphasis on you know making sure that they did, didn't overlook Colgate, didn't take them you know lightly as an FCS opponent. And you saw that play out on, on the scoreboard, and but like my first thought was, did they take that same type of intensity and focus level into Week Two against uh, a, a FBS opponent? Because a, a drop like that from Damian Alfred. That it just exemplifies a lack of focus and a lack of concentration. Something that, again, Schrader really emphasized last week though, was something they wanted to cut out. So that was a thing to where I was. It could it could set up like a bit of a trap game, you know, going into this Purdue game and you know coming off the high of the Colgate game. That was kind of a traditional trap game setup. And like like you said, for the first minute, it kind of looked like they were falling into that trap. But immediately after that, my thought was, when is Aronde Gaffey coming back? Because we talk about Isaiah Jones, we talk about Damon Alford. Especially with Damien, he's a guy that's been around the program for a little bit, had that prototypical uh, height, weight, speed setup, but hasn't really, you know, hit his ceiling and lived up to his full potential here. So with OG being the main guy for the receivers, the guy that stirred the drinks, you know, there are we do have a uh, versatility in the receiver room, but he is undoubtedly the most important, I would say, offensive skill player that we have. And I didn't think there would be that big a drop off in terms of what the guys after could do, but it, it, I, that was my first thought when Dame dropped the interception, like. Will, will the skill guys, will the receivers behind them step up? Will Schroeder have to do more with his legs? Will they have to be in more emphasis with uh, LaQuint in the run game? Like just the trickle down effect from OG being out and not not ha- not being that first refrigerated, that security blanket for him over the middle and down the field. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, my first thought was it, it looked like Syracuse didn't really want to be there. Like the energy, the effort, the, the you know, intensity that you – you would expect to see when a team comes out of the tunnel and, and comes out early in the game wasn't there. It seemed to all be on Western Michigan sideline. And my concern was, you know, typically when one team is, is substantially favored over the other, the way that an underdog pulls off an upset is just that the, the team that's favored doesn't take the underdog too seriously. The underdog is confident. A couple of things go their way early. Now you're in for a dogfight in a game you didn't expect to be a dogfight. And it just kind of felt like it was going that way. But t- to your point, uh, to Sydney's point, kudos to the defense for turning it around from that point on. Western Michigan had almost nothing going the rest of the game. And offensively, Syracuse was, was almost unstoppable in, until they put in all of their backups. Griffin, your thoughts on on how that transpired early in the game? Yeah, Cindy mentioned in our group chat how I said worst start ever, and I think just based on the reaction of everybody in the press box, everybody had the same feeling. They were looking around like, "What is going on?" Nobody expected for that to be, especially coming off a sixty-five nothing win, for that to be the start for Western Michigan, and then even on that first offensive drive with OG going down, and then Damian not being able to reel that in. But for the response after that and to then go down the field with five straight touchdown possessions after kicking that field goal, like I think that just goes to show um, if they can apply that pressure against any opponent, like that is something that I think regardless of the adversity that this team faces moving forward, that can have them be propelled in comparison to last season. Because I think when they faced adversity a lot of times last year, uh, that was something that, 
the team didn't really know how to handle it. So I think it's a case of during that six-game losing streak last year that the returning guys, they know that feeling. And instead of letting the moment get the best of them, they can rise to the occasion. And regardless of what's going on on the field, they can put that in the rear view and then focus on what's ahead. Want to eat healthy like Syracuse football players? Then you want Purple Banana. Located on Marshall Street next to Varsity Pizza, Purple Banana is known for its acai bowls, but offers many more bases than just acai with over 25 toppings to choose from. They also offer smoothies, cold-pressed juices, oatmeal, and salad. Everything is made from fresh ingredients daily and is colorful, healthy, and delicious. The vast majority of the shop is gluten-free, vegan, and dairy-free with options for all health-specific needs. Purple Banana is your go-to shop for healthy, delicious options that will have you feeling like a Syracuse Orange athlete. Visit purplebanana315.com or purplebanana315 on Instagram for more. And that's a great transition to what I wanted to get to next, which is what does the the way that Syracuse turned it around from that point, what does that mean for this team, the makeup of the team, uh, the leadership on the team, and uh, you know what this team can become uh, moving forward? Josh, we'll go to you. I mean, Griffin hit the, hit the nail on the head in terms of having that extra gear of, you know, being able to overcome adversity and get through things that would have sunk this team last year. You have a lot of guys. You lost a, a, a lot of – you lost a few uh, guys to the NFL into the transfer portal, but the bulk of this team on offense and defense is back. And with that, you had that experience of going – starting off hot, basically having your, split, your season split in half last year, and they know what that looks like. They know what it's like to be in that rut, and they know, you know, all of the action that lead into, you know, that that precipice and that fall off. So, like Griffin said, them being able to recognize that early, even the game, like you said, that they're a, a heavy favorite in, and be able to turn up the heat and, and win in convincing fashion, and not limp up out of there, you know, on the way to Purdue. That just that's a sign of maturity and um, a walk, and just a, a reaffirmation of the guys that you have in the locker room have learned from last year, and they are able to um, not fall in that same trap. I kind of feel bad because I was asked a few times on the radio this this past week and on the pregame show that that I did on TK99, you know, we talked about the point spread of the game. And I think it was 23 and a half or 24 and a half uh, Syracuse was favored by and I kept saying, man, that feels like a lot of points. If I was going to bet on this game, I'd take I'd take the points. And boy was I wrong on that. So I feel bad to anyone who took my gambling advice, which is why you should never listen to me with point spreads. I just that there's, I'm not good at it, so I don't bet. They usually so, put like a little disclaimer at the bottom. This is not professional gambling advice. Uh, yes, so, and, so and listen to me at your own peril in terms of, of <laughs> your your finances there. So, uh, Sydney, your reaction to the way that Syracuse turned it around and what it could mean for the rest of the season? It really showed just the depth that Syracuse has, both offensively and defensively. I mean, I know we're going to touch on later just the injuries, but I feel like they're able to respond so well because they're not just depending on one person to be the star each week on offense and one person to be the star on defense. Like they truly have the depth on both sides. And even if you look at we've had five sacks each game and it's been by a different player each game, there's been five different guys. So I think that speaks volumes in its own that throughout the course of this season, Somebody might be having, you know, the best game and somebody else might be down, but they're still going to be able to be dominant because they're not just looking at one person. And I was really impressed with the receivers, specifically this past weekend, who had to step up quickly. And, you know, they did so. And also shout out to LaQuint Allen, who just absolutely balled out. And if you can keep just having that next man up mentality, it's going to lead for a successful year. 
Donovan Brown and Isaiah Jones were were fantastic in this game. And Donovan Brown had he showed off his his sprinter speed with those long strides when he he caught the the pass from Garrett Schrader and, and went 86 yards to the house. And Isaiah Jones made a couple of just crazy acrobatic catches uh, in in the red zone. So uh, they really really stepped up. I, I thought it was going to be Damian Alfred that stepped up, but it seems like those two guys are, are kind of passing him in, in terms of consistency and, and trust from from Garrett Schrader. So it'll be interesting to see how that element plays out. But, you know, that that kind of takes us to our next point, which is the injuries. And I mentioned Aronde Gatson went down in on Syracuse's second play of the game. So they they scored 48 points without their best offensive player, which which is speaks to that depth that Sydney was just talking about. However, it's still not good to lose your best passing, uh, your, your best receiving weapon. It's obviously not a good thing. So the but not only did they lose him is he left. He limped off to the locker room. He came back out. He was his pads were off. Um, he had a walking boot, and then he was on crutches. Then in the second quarter, starting right tackle David Wallaba, he goes down, had to, had to have help from the coaches and the training staff to get off the field. He then had to use crutches to get back to the locker room, and uh, we didn't see him uh, for the rest of the game either. So which is the bigger injury, losing your starting right tackle David Wallaba, who's brand new to the program and has only started two games, or losing a Ronda Gadsden, who's your best weapon through the air. We'll go to you, Griffin, to, to start. Who was the bigger loss for Syracuse? Yeah, I actually went back and forth on this one because I think the play of Wallaba on the outside has gone unnoticed to a certain degree, especially going in with an inexperienced line. But it has to be losing a Ronde because with coach Dino Babers, he's never very descriptive. And when he describes injuries, like I just go back to uh, when they were talking about Trevor Pena and, and basically saying, oh yeah, he has an owie. Like, what does that mean? How long will he be out for? And I think we kind of got the same thing this week as well. And basically saying that OG's injury could be more severe based off trying to use the code that is Dino Baber's talk when talking about injuries. Like that's what I personally deciphered that this could be a little bit more severe in comparison to Wallabaugh. So I think he really takes the offense to the next level. We can talk about that all day long about what he means to this team as that top option, but it's going to put a lot more pressure on the other receivers if he is absent for a long time. So that's the part where I feel like really takes him as that more significant injury piece. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that about trying to decipher the code and, and who's more serious and whatnot, because I actually took it as the opposite, which which tells you we have no idea. Um, you know, he, right. he said that Wolovo was going to be out for some time, but said that, you know, he thought that he would be back at some point, which is good. It does, didn't sound like they were expecting it, that it would be a season ending, but out for some time, does that mean two weeks? Does that mean four? Does that mean eight? I mean, who knows? And and again, to your point, he has an alley. That means he's hurt. But we don't know how severe. They don't tell us much of anything on the injury front. So it's it's difficult to determine whether or not Aronde Gadsden is going to be playing this week, but just maybe a little bit less than 100% against Purdue, or is he going to be out six weeks? Who knows? That's that's the challenge of, of trying to come up with a projection here. But um, Josh, we'll go to you. Your your thoughts on which would be the bigger loss if they're both out for extended periods of time. It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, 
when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells Hoffman is a proud sponsor of Syracuse University Athletics. Um, going on, going off of what UA Griffin said, like talking about just the uh, the ambiguity in which uh, Coach Dino discusses these things, I I, I took it the, the other way in terms of a seeing a Rondé, you know, obviously him being in the boot, but him being able to get off the field on his own power and coming out on the field in that boot versus a uh, Big Dave going not being able to walk off of his own power, and you know, like we like we said, we he's pretty ambiguous with the language in terms of describing, but saying that he's going to be out for a while. That I just took that as a, a multi-week thing versus with OG at this very moment. Like, it looks to be more of a day-to-day, um, week-by-week type of deal. Um, but for me, I'm going to go with, uh, with Wallabow just because when you have an offensive skill guy that goes out, even one as great as uh, Gasson, you're going you're gonna to be able to piecemeal offense production together. You can, you can you know, place elevated you – can, you can place more targets on a Donovan Brown, on a Damon Alford, on a Isaiah Jones. You can emphasize more in the run game with Quinn Allen in the run game and also having to catch out of the backfield. But, you know, unfortunately, O-line is not a, a spot where you get a lot of rotation guys in. And unlike the depth that Sydney referred to on the defensive side, they're not you're, that, that drop-off from your one to your two on the O-line is so much greater. So I was a little bit up and down on Wallabout's play. He did come in late in the camp, but he didn't have that, that usual ramp-up time as other offensive linemen. But considering that that was your, your, uh, your, your position group that was already going to be your most shakiest and kind of your, your, swing, your swing group going into this season – Losing a guy that was a kind of a locked in starter, just the reshuffling of that is already going to look pretty um pretty messy. Are you going to kick a, a Joe Moore out to tackle a guy that seems to be one of your solidly best offensive five best offensive line five best offensive line even though he hasn't played, and that will be a big jump in terms of just athleticism and the guy that he would be facing playing guard at the FCS level and kicking out the tackle in the ACC. So either you kicking out a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience at this level, or you're bringing in a Mark Petra or Joe Cruz who is basically unblemished and untouched in ACC play. So the fact that, like, like I said, you just don't have as much depth at the O-line, that O-line being a big question spot coming into the year, and just who is really going to replace them versus we having just a little bit more of a solidified uh, picture of what replacing OG's production looks like on the offensive side of the ball. I would definitely say uh, David Wallabout. It's, that, it'll be really cru- uh, just key to this season when they can get them back to full health. It's funny that you mentioned Joe Moore because I was actually going to bring him up uh, uh, as far as, you know, evaluating this whole situation because he, as you said, hasn't played yet. And he was supposed to be one of the guys competing for the starting right tackle job. He ends up winning the starting right guard job as one of the five best linemen, but hasn't played yet because he got hurt during training camp. So you're already down him. And so one of the guys that you would figure if he didn't win the job would be one of the primary options to replace the guy that just went down hasn't been available because he's hurt. So you're down two guys now, really, even though, you know, no one has seen Joe Moore, so they don't know how he's going to react to this level. To your point, uh, you're still down two guys that you were counting on being on the duty at, at minimum. And, and so that's tough. You know, it's, it's not Alabama where you just, Oh, here's this other five-star kid that we got. So we'll just throw him out there. You know, that's not the situation you're in. And so there's, there's unproven guys behind them that will have to go out and they don't have the luxury of easing in with Colgate and Western Michigan or even easing in with a game against Army first. They're going right into it against a Big Ten team on the road. That's that's a difficult ask, I think, for for a lot of players that that don't have that level of experience. Sydney, which one, in your opinion, is the bigger loss for Syracuse? Yeah, I mean, I think that the two of you brought up really great points. Um, but I just think there's no question in that it's Gadsden. And the reason why I say that it's, it's not even about what they both, I feel like produce number wise, statistic wise, 
it's about that chemistry that a quarterback has with their number one wide receiver and just that trust between the two of them. I mean, we see it at every level of the game. You look at how Patrick Mahomes struggled in week one because he didn't have Travis Kelsey. And you even heard kind of Schrader hinted that in the press conference that, you know, that was his most trusted guy. And now it's starting to figure out how do you find trust in another guy? Who is now your go-to guy or who's the guy that you want to throw to that you know can catch it when the game's on the line? And I think that's going to have some trial and error with Syracuse. And, you know, depending on how long that he's out for, it might take some time to build up trust, especially to that level that he's had from the last two seasons being built on between Trader and Getson. So for that reason, I think it says nothing new to statistics, all about trust and a quarterback's best man is his top wide receiver. Oh, tap in, tap in, tap in. I, I had an amateur mistake there and I muted myself and then started talking. So <laughs> apologize for that. Um, so who does Syracuse replace Aronde Gatson with? You're not going to just stick one guy out there, right? And say, you just do what he did. It, it, it's not going to work that way. So they're probably going to have to piecemeal it, but who are, you know, maybe a couple of your top options, Griffin, will go to you that uh, would have to step up in order to replace what Aronde Gatson brings to the table. If he's going to miss, uh, you know, a couple of games or more. Yeah, I got to think, like, at the tight end position specifically, you, you have to potentially go with Dan Villari, but I think it's just going to have to be, in general, a more balanced attack offensively because I think you've seen night and day differences in the entire approach so far in week one. Very run heavy against Colgate. Week two, air raid offense, very pass heavy. So I think you're going to have to have a culmination between those two things because that's going to then take less pressure away from however you're going to piecemeal it uh, with the receiving core. If you're having Quinn Allen not just be your featured goal line back like he was this week, because yes, he had three touchdowns, but it wasn't a huge yardage weekend for him or even a lot of touches either. So I think that's something as well. I don't think it's going to be a tight end coming in and is going to get all these different receptions. No, I think they're just going to have to keep Purdue on their toes defensively, who we're going to talk about in a little bit actually looked pretty solid in the second half of their win against Virginia Tech. Yeah, I love the fact that you mentioned Dan Villari because, you know, I, I don't think that there's, as I mentioned, there's not one person you're going to throw out there and say do what Gadsden did. There, there's going to be a committee approach to it. But if you were to take someone at the same position who has the same level of athleticism, Villari's your best bet there because he's he's got the body, he's got the physique, he's, he's a former quarterback. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that you could do with him. Uh, so he's interesting, even though he hasn't really played much uh, offensively yet. You wonder if, you know, they could throw him out there for for a couple of plays here and there to try to catch the opposing defense off guard. You could run some trick plays with him because, as I mentioned, he is a former quarterback. So do you line him up in the slot, bring him around on on a reverse or throw a backwards pass to him and then have him throw the ball? There's There's some interesting things that you could do with him. But I also think a lot of what you saw Syracuse do when they adjusted to Gadsden being out against Western Michigan is kind of how they're going to approach it moving forward, which is you saw Isaiah Jones, Damian Alford both spend time in the slot and, and they threw to those guys, Donovan Brown as well. So they all kind of just, you know, moved around a little bit and used different guys to, to kind of fill in that position at different times. And I think that's what they're going to do and try to just move guys around a bunch and, and prevent 
the opposing defenses, Purdue this week from kind of keying in on you're going to be here, you're going to be here, you're going to be here at all times. You know, if in a couple of plays, Alfred's in the slot and then a play later, Isaiah Jones is in the slot and then two plays later, you got Donovan Brown in there, it, it can really confuse it, uh, has the potential to confuse an opposing defense. So I think they might approach it from that perspective. But, uh, you know, Josh, we'll go to you and get your thoughts on who you think could uh, replace. Uh, just, like, just like my boy GDP said, like it's definitely going to be a, a thing to where it's an amalgamation, just a coming together of different parts in a, a singular guy just stepping in that role and doing what OG did. Like he said, going to that tight end room, uh, Dan, being a, for, a former quarterback and seeing him um, in the person at camp, he's very physically stout. He looks to be about 230, 235. So I would think that along with him and uh, Max Mang, you just you go a lot you go a lot more with those two tight end sets to try to you know bang out a lot of stuff in the run game considering that a your O line's not gonna get a, a super lot of push with the injuries that we mentioned and just being you know again a, a, the question mark unit of the, the the season right now not being knowing what we have with them right now but also like you said being being solid in the commitment of that since we we like LaQuinn Allen a lot and we see the potential that he has being able to just emphasize that run game and stick to it despite it you know maybe stall out stalling out on a couple of drives. I think that would probably be the best way to go, along with the, the part that we said in terms of, like, moving around guys' information like a Dame, like Isaiah, um, like other guys, other guys, Donovan, that were that's, who's quickly becoming a straight-up security blanket. For me, if there was going to be one guy that I see could get some offensive snaps and rise up the dead chart, I would go with Demarcus Adams. He's been a guy that's been super explosive already on punt return. He had uh, some, some hits last year after Schrader got hurt with Carlos Del Rio Wilson. And, you know, even with or without OG in that offense, he adds that level of, like, gadget speed type of guy that, A, could be very beneficial for this time that OG is out, but also just adds another element in terms of stretching defenses side to side. Like I said, he's been a guy that he's, – he's he came from Florida. He's, he's had track level speed running from running uh, the 100-meter dash at Florida State. But I would really like to see them get, you know, just some bubbles, some screens, some stuff, some stuff like that to get him out in space and let him operate in the same way he does in, in the pump return game. Because I think that he would be a guy that would do a really uh, – he had the same amount of explosiveness, and he, he showed it last season at the receiver spot. He's just not a pure return specialist. So I think that with OG going down, him looking really good, not only in the at ball camp, but in the spring, developing as a route runner and be able to come in down with 50-50 balls, he, he would be the primary candidate in terms of somebody that could come into some uh, unsuspect, unexpected production. Sydney, who do you think uh, are the best options to replace Ronda Gatson? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I agree with a lot of what you guys have mentioned already. I'm really high on Jones. Um, I just love what he brings every time. I feel like he's in that slot position. I love that he's not afraid to go up for a ball. I feel like you saw that last weekend and it's just his catches. It felt if it was anywhere near his hands. He was going to make sure no matter what, he was going to catch it. And I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's just he's building that trust with Schrader. And I feel like you could see that on the field. But another guy that I really like is Hatcher. I just really like his style of play. And when he comes in, I think he's really gritty. And he makes things happen out there. And I feel like every time he's getting the ball, he's pushing for those extra two, five yards as much as he can. And he's a hard guy to bring down just with his speed and his grittiness. So I think he could be a, a sneaky one to look out for these next few weeks um, if his role expands. Yeah, he's had a good start to the season, so he's he's an interesting one to watch. I know he came in with a lot of hype and was very highly regarded recruit, had a ton of, of big offers, so he's uh, certainly an interesting one to watch. But that will move us forward to Syracuse's Week 3 opponent, the Purdue Boilermakers. We remember last year, 
Syracuse and Purdue went right down to the wire. Purdue certainly feels like they let one get away. Syracuse with a thrilling win on a touchdown pass to a Rondé Gadsden. So obviously not having him would make Purdue fans pretty excited. Uh, not having the guy that scored the game winning touchdown against you. That said, this game isn't in the dome like it was last year. And so it's also a night game. So Syracuse is going into their first road environment. It's a big 10 opponent. It's a, a prime time, 7.30 p.m. kickoff. It's, it's going to be a crazy environment, I think. So uh, as Griffin mentioned, even though Purdue lost week one at home to Fresno State, week two, they took care of business and won at an ACC school at Virginia Tech. What are your thoughts on the matchup between Syracuse and Purdue? Sydney, we'll start with you, as well as a prediction for how this game is going to play out. I still believe that Syracuse will come out with a win, but I will say I feel like Purdue is more prepared just based off the opponents that they have faced. This will truly be Syracuse's toughest matchup, offensively, defensively, and they've really just been able to steamroll past their last two opponents where I feel like Purdue has had a lot tougher matchups. They've had a battle back and forth. Obviously, they lost in week one, showed a much better performance in week two. With Virginia Tech, who coming into this season, you know, people had high regards with them, and obviously we'll see him down the road. But I just think they're going to understand how to control momentum. They're going to understand how to play in a tight ball game. And this will be Syracuse's first real opportunity at that. And it might take some learning curves, and I'll be curious to see how they can respond to that. But I think more than anything, Big Ten specialty is the run game. And I think that's something that while you know, Allen walked away with three touchdowns. I'm curious to see how we'll be able to utilize that run game because I think it's very important to open up Schrader's passing game. But Big Ten and specifically Purdue has always done a great job at stopping the run. It's going to be interesting, too, because last year Purdue came in with the reputation of being uh, a, a throwing offense with Uh, you know, throwing the ball over the field and Jones had a big game against Syracuse and O'Connell had a huge game as well and and is now in the NFL. So that was a reputation. Whereas if you look at this year, this last week, they ran for 180 yards, ran the ball almost 50 times against Virginia Tech in a 24 to 17 win, even though they did throw for, for almost 250, but it's just a different type of approach. And that's something I think Syracuse is going to have to adjust to, but and, and Purdue ran the ball pretty well against Syracuse last year as well. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that matchup ends up playing out. Josh, your thoughts on the matchup and who's going to end up pulling this one out? I don't just think there's going on with thoughts of Purdue. Uh, Sydney, our, our local Big Ten resident, filled us in with terms of how the physicality in the Big Ten it plays out. And like going off what you said, that um that, that flip being switched from them being a, a, a dominant passing to a, a – sizable run team this year you, you see it not only in the way that like you said the conference plays out but also in the way that they've committed to the run game these these first two games got a guy like David uh, Maccabee coming back from last year you know ha- having 95 yards last game but also uh, a Tyrone Tracy they're a true gadget explosive guy having worked out a receiver for his entire career being moved to running back so you see uh, first year coach Ryan Walters him come from Illinois and being behind a, a dominant run game he's really emphasizing being able to attack uh, in, not only in between the tackles, but on the edges with those with those runners as much as possible. So for me, it it will be a thing to where we just saw literally the second play of the game that this three three five, as we constantly have discussed, you know, does lend itself to having you know big gadgets uh, in the run game and just being susceptible to breaking off long runs, but only having those three down linemen. So for me, it'll be I'll be interested to see how much Purdue has has improved in the run game 
how heavily how heavy they rely upon it with some of the up and down factors with their offensive line and uh, uh, the lack of returners that they have, kind of like us. But also balancing out Hudson Card, who was definitely one of the more talented uh, guys in, in the transfer portal. Uh, especially with the games that Purdue has played, it's kind of been very much hit or miss. Like Sydney said, with Fresno State, you had a highly recruited guy and Mikey Keene kind of slashed their secondary apart. Well, meanwhile, Virginia Tech had three quarterbacks play, and neither one of them looked up to standard. So it's definitely been a, like a, a tell of two Purdue teams. So I'll be interested to see which Purdue team comes out. That yeah, being and, said, and, and, oh. it's not like Virginia Tech was was expected to to be this monster. Um, you know, talented team or anything like that. So it's not a huge surprise that Purdue played better against Virginia Tech than it did against Fresno State if you just look at the teams on paper. Um, but even still, I think it's, it's to your point, there's kind of a, a night and day thing there. So do, do you get Purdue playing at their sharpest? I, I would think you're probably going to get a better effort than what they did against Fresno State simply because they're going to be at home against a Power 5 opponent uh, it's going to be a night a night game on NBC national broadcast. They're going to be pretty amped up for that. So I don't think you should expect a lethargic Purdue team going into this. Griffin, your thoughts on on Syracuse Purdue? Yeah, if you go back to what I said last week when we were discussing the Week One Purdue loss and how I said after that you, you have to expect an increase in intensity moving forward, especially losing a buy-in game to start off your season. So now playing uh, another ACC school where it was a similar sort of formula for them last week playing the Hokies where they were up 17 to zero and then they got hit in the mouth, like kind of how we did early on in the game and uh, pretty late, almost towards halftime, Virginia Tech ties it up at 17, 17, but they came out and they made the necessary adjustments that were needed to win that game. The defense looked really good. They pitched a shutout in the second half and Hudson card gets one more touchdown on the scoreboard to win the game. So uh, you did mention how they had 179 rushing yards, but they only allowed 11. So I think that's something to also keep your eye on if you're a fan of Syracuse because McQuinn Allen, he's done some special things, but I don't think that he has gone up against a front four uh, to the level of a Big Ten school that is obviously well regarded as a great rush defense. So uh, I think with all that being said, I've really, really liked what offensive coordinator Jason Beck has done with this offense so far. I think you saw arguably one of the best performances of Garrett Schrader's career last week, and I think you're going to see him build off of that in a difficult place to play, going on the road, nationally televised game. I see Syracuse pulling out with a 31-13 victory this week. Man, I I see Syracuse winning this game. I don't know if I'm willing to go that big of a spread. Uh, I think I would would say – I, hey, I, I think Syracuse fans would love to see that, right? You go you go win on the road 31-13 at a Big Ten school. I almost don't care who the Big Ten school is. After outscoring your first two opponents 113-7, to now you're a team that everyone's starting to go, okay, this, this is something here. And what's interesting is I just saw that Syracuse is actually ranked 18th in the country by ESPN's FPI. They, you know, that's it's all computer-based. They have their, their power index and all these things. And, and so after... Two weeks, ESPN's FPI has put Syracuse 18th in the country. And uh, guess who was not ranked in that top 25? Alabama. So Syracuse is better than Alabama. That's what I just learned. Oh, so. yeah. Keep, keep, the, keep the tradition going. I love it. <laughs> we started back. Bring on Bama already. We started bring on Bama last year when Syracuse was going 6-0. and We'll bring it back. Now it's Bama's going, I don't want Cuse after, after what Bama happened to Bama last week. So 
Yeah. I'll jump in here on Griffin's point, though. Like he was talking about, you know, Purdue lost a lot of offensive talent in the same way that we lost a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. And while we kind of had guys in, in the program and, you know, guys transfers in, transfers, guys out of the transfer portal and recruits step up to fill that void, Purdue hasn't really pre- replaced that, that production on the offensive side of the ball for them. So with the production that we replaced, as well as them having a first-year head coach, I, w- I, w- I would safely go uh, us with a uh, with a touchdown lead over Purdue at um out of West Lafayette. Yeah, I'm I'm going 27-21 Syracuse is, is my official score prediction. So we'll see how that plays out. And you know what, Syracuse wins 31-13. We will all come back and praise and bow before the uh, <laughs> Thomas that is Griffin. So there you go. That'll do it for episode 76 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast. For Sydney, Josh, and Griffin, I'm Mike McAllister. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.